Welcome back to the VetSOS podcast brought to you by the Who You Know Network. VetSOS is a proud member and glad to be supported by the Parade Deck community. Remember, don't drown to see a transition. Grab the Vet SOS Lifeline. Today, we got John Doolin from Movement Search and Delivery with us today to talk about how he helps veterans and transitioning service members prepare during their specific job search. Can't wait to hear more about this and, and how we can help our community. As always, I'm here with my co-host, Eric. Eric, how are you doing today? Brother, I am awesome, man. <laughs> I've had a whole bunch of coffee, uh, way more than I should have. However, I'm here. I'm standing. Got the standing desk rocking, so I'm standing. I'm I'm excited. This is a great dude. I'm excited to let him share what he does. Um, yeah, man, I'm pumped up. Pitter patter, let's get at her. <laughs> We're gonna see you like rocking and dancing back there because you're standing up now. Oh, <laughs> uh, all right. So let's jump right into. It. We got John Doolin. He's a headhunter with in the talent recruiting industry. In addition to being a distinguished logistics and operation executive coach and mentor with a stellar career spanning multiple decades. John coaches and mentors professional facing career challenges, looking for fulfillment, active duty U.S. Armed Forces members as they transition to the civilian workforce and conducts live training events focused on leadership and self-development. His passion for being a better human and dedication to mentorship inspires professionals across the globe to reach new heights in their own careers. And John is a veteran. We're glad to have you here today, John. John, how are you doing? I'm fantastic. Thanks for asking. Uh, I'm really honored to be here. Thank you for inviting me. I'm so happy you're, you came to join us. You know, anytime we get the opportunity to talk to someone who is helping, uh, you know, our veteran community in that that job search and, and preparing, because we all know so much goes into it between the resumes, the interview techniques, the clothes. I mean, I had to get the, you know, get enlist my wife's help to make sure I could dress right. So, you know, all that stuff goes into it. And so glad that we can bring someone on like you to talk about it. So let's start a little bit with your service and your transition, you know, so then you know, what, what did you do in, in the service? And then, uh, you know, how did that transition part go for you when it was your turn? Yeah. Thank you for that. Uh, so I was, uh, a 92 Yankee, which is, uh, uh, nowadays it is logistics, but back then it was quartermaster. I was assigned, uh, to the first infantry division, first engineer battalion at Fort Riley, Kansas, three years there. Um, my transition um, was quick and simple. And, you know, it's, you know, there's so many more programs today than there were back in 1997. And um, my transition consisted of, here's your resume, have a copy of this everywhere you go and hand it out every chance you get. So uh, my and that, that was really it. That was literally my transition. <clears throat> I, I left the Army. I had already transitioned into Manhattan, Kansas. I was going to, uh, my, you can see behind me, went to K-State. Um, I went to work for a factory producing hydraulic hoses uh, until I could get uh, lined up for school. And then just went ROTC and college for the next four years. So that literally was my transition. And by the time I got done with school, the army was so far in my rearview mirror that honestly, I didn't think about it much until, uh, so that was, um, I left Manhattan in 2001, moved to Omaha and, uh, left, left Omaha in 2017, moved to Michigan where I am now. I didn't think about, um, transitioning. I didn't think about veterans much until, you know, with the, the veteran experience in employment until I moved here to Michigan. And, um, 
I joined Veterati and I'll be honest, I did it selfishly. I was having trouble hiring uh, people. And I knew that if I could find people that had been in the military, they would at least have work ethic. And um, so I, I joined Veterati hoping that I could use that as a tool to recruit to this day. I have not been able to hire one person that I've mentored. It just never lined up. Uh, I've helped many of them get jobs with other people. Um, but then, uh, you know, so the Veterati thing that led to ACP, which is how I met Eric. And, you know, it's, I'll be honest, it's been, a, it's been a great ride to be able to help these folks who are transitioning today with things you, you talked about. Um, how do you dress for an interview? You know, how early do you show up? How do you transition the military language into something civilians understand? Um, it's, it's more challenging than, uh, than any handbook really helps you with because, you know, if you're sitting in front of me interviewing, I understand, I can read your, your uh, DD-214 and I know what you did. I can directly apply that to how it could help us. But what I found and the reason that I, I, I got so passionate into this was there are 99% of the population who does not serve. And those are hiring managers. Those are decision makers. They just don't understand. They're grateful that we served and, um, you know, they thank us for our service, but they don't understand how what we did there can help them run a better business. Yeah, that's 100% true. That, that, that translation from the military, the military language into that, that elusive language of civilian ease, right? That's tough, but it's also tough the other way, right? 93, like you said, 93% of the country have never served. The veteran population in totality is 7%. And so, you know, really it comes down to the onus is on both of us, right? The onus is on the veteran to learn how to become bilingual and to learn how to, how to speak that other language. And it's, it's on the civilian population too, to start to learn what can we provide you as we step into that next role? I'm so glad you're in that role. And I'm so glad you're in my home state, dude. I love that. That's, I I'm a we're Michigander. Back to Michigan. I, I, absolutely, <laughs> man. I'm a Michigander through and through, dude. Um, okay. So tell us, tell us more about like how, let's talk, let's talk, let's start with, let's start with one of those things that we've got to look at, right? Let's start talking about the resume. How do we help people prepare and get ready for a resume? Yeah, that, that is, you're right, because uh, the average resume is going to get looked at for 30 seconds to a minute, yep. and uh, this is something that I, I coach uh, folks on every day when I either I get that Veterati invite um, or they just reach out to me via LinkedIn or my website. You know, you've, you've got to make that, that resume has to be your 30-second to, to one-minute flash of make them want to talk to you. And uh, it's it's a matter of, you know, there, there's a gentleman currently that uh, is go, uh, moving, he's in the Air Force, moving from Japan uh, back to the United States uh, in about a month. And, you know, he did convert all of his titles um, to what were, I, I think, effective civilian titles, director of this, manager of that. But, um, you know, it was it was overwhelming because the gentleman spent his entire career in the Air Force sharpening his blade, you know, adding credentials. And so this guy is going into the workforce and, you know, other people have told him that, you know, he's, he's going to be entry level because he doesn't have any civilian experience. And so he's got these director titles and he's applying for entry level work. I'm like, uh, no, no, there's, there's a problem here. Let's first figure out 
where, and, and this is a guy who legit should be responding or should be applying to senior management roles based on his experience, based on his education, he's legit. And um, so th this is something, you know, it, it's always a case by case basis. You, there's no one size fits all when it comes to a resume. But um, the, you know, what I tell people uh, as they review a job description, you should never blast your resume to 50 employers. You should blast one resume to one employer. And that resume needs to speak to the job description. And so uh, we walk through this exercise of reading every bullet on that job description. And I ask them, if you can say three things to that bullet, I added value, I reduced waste, or I changed the culture, that bullet needs to transition to your resume. And you need to be able to speak to how you did that. Because uh, a lot of times when you're, you're blasting your resume off or you're applying on a company's website, it's a computer that's scanning your resume. So if they're not catching those key words, you're never going to get an interview, which, by the way, is why I joined Movement Search and Delivery, the headhunting firm, because we have direct relationships with the hiring managers. We have direct relationships with human resources. When you work with a headhunter, if your resume is good enough, that headhunter puts that resume in front of the hiring manager. Right. And a good headhunter is going to help you make that resume better. Yeah, no, 100%. And I think that's important too, right? Like it's because it's not just transactional, it's relationship, right? It's relational. And that's, and that's where if we could just get our community to understand that it doesn't have to be transactional. And that's part of the problem. A lot of us in the military, although we've made great relationships, a lot of the transactions that we made and the things that we had to do in the, the deal with the one shop or the four, like that becomes almost transactional until you realize, oh, it's easier to get something from my supply sergeant if I'm nice to them, right? If I build a relationship with them, right? We, when we start to learn those things, but then we think that everything we learned in the military is stovepiped and it stays in the military. And those are soft skills that are invaluable. We've, we've known how to do that. When we talked to, to, about changing language, right? Learning, learning to speak civilianese and, and we've done that. I did not speak the same way to my soldiers in a motor pool that I did to the boss when I was in front of his, when I was in front of his desk. Yeah, absolutely. I was bilingual. It depended on the environment I was in. We know how to do it, but people like you teach us how to apply that outside the uniform. Yep. Yeah. So great, great uh, transition point, Eric. So one of the things uh, that I love about movement is there's, there's three founders of this firm. Um, and, they, they see the value in what I'm doing, and that was part of their recruiting tactic. We have been courting for almost three years before I joined their firm, and that was one of the very specific things that was brought up was, you know, you've, you've got to keep serving these veterans. You've got to keep, keep giving back in your coaching and your mentoring. That will all feed into your headhunting, which in, in, for me, it was a match made in heaven uh, to be able to find uh, this team of people who see the absolute value and why it makes a difference to make sure that when veterans come home from wherever they were, that they can find a career that fulfills them and helps them to utilize uh, what the, the experiences that they gained because they, they really respect that that work ethic and the values that are uh, really just drilled into us. So uh, one of the things I do is uh, in, in my, my own business, my, uh, 
dual and strategy partners. Uh, when I take on a coaching or a mentoring client, I offer a menu of different options for whatever they need. For some folks, it's uh, managing their own personal brand, their social media pages. Maybe it's building a website. Some of it is a resume. Um, I don't do a lot of the resume stuff on my own. Uh, most of the resume stuff I do is through the headhunting. Um, but we do mock interviews. And mm. these mock interviews are, uh, they're, you know, essentially we role play, but from start to finish, we both stay in character. And so we coach before and then we coach after, but we don't coach during. I literally put them through an actual interview where I ask them the tough questions and we record it. And uh, the process that takes place after that is once it's recorded, I share the file with them. They have a few days to review it. They have to come back with notes about what they thought went well, what they could have done better. And then we literally go through the video together. And I, we watch a, a question and answer. We stop it. We talk about it. And, um, you know, th this is uh, the feedback that I've gotten on this is this is the most helpful piece of the entire process. The coaching and mentoring is great because it helps them make better decisions as they move along. But um, being able to walk into an interview, I mean, we really don't get that much experience interviewing. I don't, I don't know um, how good the people are who are, you know, because I've talked to some more recent veterans who have said that there are now programs that exist that help walk them through this. But uh, I have not one time done these mock interviews with somebody and had them say, um, oh, yeah, that's great. I've, I, I did that before or I've had that exposure uh, because, I, quite frankly, I think that some of these trainers, they just they, they don't know what a real interviewer is going to ask them. And I've been in hiring roles for the last 30 years, interviewing thousands upon thousands of people. And so that to me, that's one of the greatest gifts that I can give back is doing these mock interviews with them. That's, that's huge. And I did a couple of those programs where you, you, you had the mock interviews and I'll tell you right now, based on what you're telling me, that to me sounds like sitting it down with your coach in the NFL and watching game film you know, to yep. make sure that you understand the defense, you know, whereas the ones yeah. I went through was more like, you know, peewee flag football, uh, where we just did a practice run. And it, granted, it was helpful, but what you're talking about is next level. That, that, I mean, when you get to watch your own game film and be like, oh, yeah, I shouldn't have thrown the ball to him. And, you know, and then, you know, <laughs> that's why he dropped that's it. Much, yeah, yeah. Much more powerful. Yeah. I'm, I'm a Chiefs fan, Eric. That's hurtful. Oof. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a Lions fan. I'm used to being hurt. It's okay. Not this Same year. Though. Yeah, this year's good. Dan Campbell is bringing some real leadership to that team. 100%. Okay, so as we talk about now, not just navigating like the starting points and, and, the, and the interview prep and the resumes, um, what is it? What is it? Because the workforce is a different landscape. Right. It's a, it's a it's a different problem set to navigate. So talk to us a little bit about how you prep or how you help folks navigate that new minefield, for lack of better terms. Yeah. You know, uh, the reality is it's about credentials and you you have to determine what your goals are and, you know, whatever it is you want to do. There are some jobs in the military that absolutely don't translate to their actual civilian counterpart. And there's there, the crazy thing about that is like, you know, you can have somebody who has an engineering title in the military 
and they are not an engineer in the civilian world. So, um, you know, that there's, and I'm, I'm speaking more to the enlisted side. When you are an officer and you have a degree in engineering, that transitions pretty well to actual engineering within manufacturing. But if you have, let's say you have a combat engineer title, you know, when you blow things up for a living, that doesn't, you know, really translate to going to the, a warehouse or a manufacturing facility and actually being an engineer for them. So um, this is where it, I think it stings a little bit because you get guys who went in and they did a job for 20 years and they were told when they went in, this is going to be a great training for you when you go, want to go back home because you're going to be a preferred candidate. It's an absolute lie. Um, they're, they're not a preferred candidate unless they have credentials on the resume that say, here's a school I went to that taught me how to do this. Here is a, a, a certification or a badge or a title that I earned because I proved to somebody that I know the qualifications of this job. And that that's where we start. We start there to say, let's really flesh this out. I can't tell you how how much it stings every time I get contacted by somebody that I worked with, even in my civilian career of logistics, and they want me to help them find a job, but they don't want to be in logistics anymore. I'm like, well, you've done logistics for 20 years. You were logistics in the military. You don't have any credentials to go do something else right now. That's, that's what you've done. You've got that, that I'm tested like, well, you know, I've got a business degree or I've got a degree in general studies. It, it, it's, you know, you really have to be credentialed in specifically what you're going to do. So, you know, what I tell people now is go get your PMP. You have to, you know, go back and get these certifications. You can do these things while you're working your current job and just keep adding these professional credentials to resume. Uh, I can't tell you how many times I, I, I come across a hiring manager who is simply looking for somebody who just has that PMP certification at the end of their name. They don't care what they did. They just want to know that they have the ability to lead a project to success. And, um, you know, it, it's so easy nowadays just to throw that title out there. And, and that's the hardest part about corporate America is titles are really inexpensive. You, you can, you know, you, you can promote somebody a fancy title. They do that job for 10 years and they walk out and they think, oh, I'm the vice president of whatever, or I'm a project manager or a product manager. But that doesn't really translate to the employment field when you've got, you know, somebody looking at this saying, okay, but tell me exactly what you did to achieve these results. Tell me how you specifically did these projects and you know, specifically when you've been with a large employer with a lot of financial resources and you have teams of people around you, you know, leadership is not as marketable as people think it is. You, I, 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 I was this guy for a long time where I would say I'm a leader. I'll, whatever it is, I'll lead it. It doesn't matter. I can learn it quickly. It, it just doesn't translate to, you know, when you, when you have employers that are traded on the stock exchange and they've got to produce results, they're looking for credentials. And so that is my advice to everybody is take every certification you possibly can, specifically if you're in the military and you can do it for free, take them all, stack them up. But Eric, one thing I would suggest is I do not recommend that all of those credentials go on your resume. Absolutely. Like everything, 
you have to make your resume specific for the job you're applying for. And, you know, I have doctors, people with PhDs who just want to load up their resume with all this fancy stuff. And I tell them point blank, your resume lands in the trash can because they immediately say you're overqualified. Yep. Yeah. I used to tell people that like, when I used to coach folks in transition, and I do still sometimes with through Veterati, but what I used to tell folks is that you're required to answer their questions, right? Mm-hmm. The job announcement, that's a set of questions. They're trying to, they're trying to use a job announcement to identify whether or not you're qualified for the position. Yep. They didn't ask you for, you, you know, we've all got a greatest hits tape, right? I spent 25 years in the military. I've got a greatest hits tape. I can rattle off all my greatest hits. They didn't ask about my greatest hits. Right. They ask these specific things. And then when you talk about targeting and tailoring, right, you're tailoring your, your resume to a job announcement and you're targeting a company, you're targeting their core values or targeting, and you're showing them that you align, you align with them. You align with what they're looking for in position. You align with what they're looking for in, in, in talent and in, in, in capability and in persona and all this other stuff. Yep but you have to do that in the written word. And, and unfortunately, right. The people who are really good at building context in the written word, they're called authors, right? They, they've probably written books because that's what they're really good at. Most of us get screwed up when we send a text message to our spouse and we said the wrong thing, right? So those resumes get really difficult. So having people, again, having people like you who are willing to step into the gap and say, Hey, let me show you what this targeting and tailoring looks like. Let me show you how to look at a resume, how to look at a job announcement. Because again, we go back to that PMP, right? I used to love it when people were like, oh, I'm going to be a project manager. Fantastic. What industry? Because, because construction companies hire project managers, Amazon hire project managers, and so does Waffle House. Yes. Oh, that's <laughs> that. Eric, that should be a quote. <laughs> it probably is a quote somewhere. <laughs> yeah, I, I might make it one of my memes. There you go. <laughs> yeah, that, that's so true. And that, you know, so... I, I was sitting on a plane uh, about a month ago and the person next to me, um, you know, I'm, I'm that guy, whether I'm in the elevator, I'm standing in line, I don't care where I am. I'm going to talk to the person next to me. And uh, uh, so she, she worked for a logistics company, but she was a project manager. And so I, at that moment, I happened to have like, I think five different project manager searches on my plate. So the moment she said she was a project manager, I was like, Oh, what industry? What do you specifically focus on? And just immediately trying to drill in because, you know, being a project manager is much like an onion. You know, there, there's different layers to them as you peel back, but ultimately it's still an onion. And yep. there's, there's, you know, you can't, you can't use an onion to make applesauce. So. Yeah. <laughs> now that needs to be a t-shirt. You can't use an <laughs> onion to make applesauce. I like that. Ugh. I like that. <laughs> so what do you think? What do you think? If you had to rack and stack. Right. What are we looking at as far as like, what do you think are the most important steps, the most critical steps um, as people, as people try to find that their, their version of success, right? Cause every one of us have a different version of success. What do you think are the most crucial steps in that, in that finding that, that, that successful career path? Yeah, this, this is, I'm going to over, uh, over simplify this a little bit, but it's the, the first thing is that they've got to know who they are. They've, mm. you know, the, the, and the military doesn't define that. And that, I think that's a problem because a lot of us join when we're 17 or 18 years old and the military does define a lot of our character, a lot of our traits. 
and uh, a lot of our habits, but it doesn't define our personality. It doesn't define what is the contribution we're going to make to the world. And, you know, um, Eric, I'm a perfect example of this. I was logistics in the army. I tried to do something else when I first got out, went back to school. My degree is in social sciences, um, but I recognized very quickly that I, I like nice things and I'm not going to make it as a social worker. So uh, I had to find a job that paid that more hurts. money. <laughs> and so, um, so I land in logistics and for too many years, I defended my college degree as I study people. And so I'm a fantastic leader of people because I understand them. Um, and then I, I met these people. Uh, they actually, they were the headhunting firm that took me away from my, my job here in Michigan. And, um, you know, it just, it cracked that can open. I'm like, I think this is where I should have been this whole time. I should, mm. help. you know, um, I should have been using my talents to help other people live a better life, to find whatever it is their path is and go after it. Because I absolutely love waking up in the morning because I, I, the moment I wake up, I know I get another day doing this. And it, it makes me sad that so many people don't have that. Um, you know, uh, I, I read on social media every day, people just miserable with their job. I see those um, on uh, Instagram, those reels where, you know, people are making fun of hating their job. And I think I remember those days. I remember hating my job and I love my job. I, I love the people that I work with uh, because I'm surrounded by people who are doing exactly what they know they're meant to do. They've found their right. calling. So Eric, I, I think that's where it really it, it starts. And that's the hard thing because uh, if you are 16, 17, 18 years old and you have yet to make those massively expensive life decisions, it's easy to say to them, find your calling, find what makes you happy. Now, uh, I can tell you at 17 years old, I, I had no other calling than a case of beer. So that, that's, that's where I was heading. Um, you know, it, it took me probably at least another decade before I realized where I wanted to go and what I wanted to do. I joined the army because I, I wanted to party and get paid for it. And, right. you know, and so I, I don't have any shame in admitting that today um, because I feel like I, I've my, the work ethic that I learned there taught me that if I'm going to survive, I'm going to have to learn how to survive. I'm going to have to learn how to thrive. Um, and so, uh, you know, I wish I had found my calling earlier in life, but because I didn't, I'm, I'm the perfect case example to teach other people how to find it, how to zero in on it. Um, and then once they've got that, once they have that general idea, go after it for everything that you can. And if you don't wake up in the morning just so motivated to go and do that thing, then it is not your calling. It's not where you're supposed to be. And it's time to step back and reflect. Now, at, uh, at the moment when a lot of people realize this, they've got a wife, a kid, a car, a house, they've got commitments. You can't just quit your job and go in a new direction. So that's where the planning has to come in. We have to say, okay, uh, you know, in, in my case, I've run warehouses, uh, I've run retail logistics operations, and uh, I have a college degree. I, I have things to fall back on, but I can't just pivot because my lifestyle right now is built around the lifestyle that this brings in. And I've got to find a way to replace this if I want to continue that lifestyle or my lifestyle has got to change. Right. So that, that's where the planning comes in. And that's where taking classes, 
going back to school, uh, Eric, I went, I went to college at 40 years old with two kids at home and a full-time job. And I would get up at four or five o'clock in the morning to be on the dock to make sure that, you know, consumer goods made it on trucks to get out and delivered to the retail customers. I would work all day at that job, go home at five o'clock, pick my kids up, take care, have dinner with them, put them to bed by eight. And then from eight until midnight, every single night, I was in my office doing homework, you know, going back to school. And so um, I, I don't wish that on anybody. It's a, that literally is a miserable life, but I will tell you, the, the feeling of relief when you know that you've turned in that last paper, you've taken that last test, and you are done. You have the credentials that you need to move forward in a direction that uh, is really going to fulfill you. Um, that is a great feeling. That's a sense of relief. That's a sense of excitement. Um, and, I, you know, quite frankly, that's what I feel every morning when I wake up is I, I've just got that energy and that motivation. I cannot wait to get to work. I'm usually the first person in my office every day. I love that. Yeah, you are definitely proof of concept, right? Yeah. That you're the proof of concept right there. And I and and that's and that's a great, I mean, I completely I I, I can I can see it. I, I understand it. I've lived it, right? I'm also a proof of concept yeah. in that respect. Um but I think what you hit on is so important and it's it's figuring out, and I call it right, figure I figure out what what what's the thing that keeps you up at night, right? That becomes the problem. Right. That's the thing to solve. And then what yep. fires you up in the morning? What 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 gets you going? Right. What what's the thing that kind of like, man, gets you excited in the morning? And when you lay those things across each other, right, where your where your passion and your talent intersect is what I believe is where you're going to find your purpose. And man, once people find their purpose, once people end up at a great organization where they where they're excited about the people who are around them and they're excited about the mission ahead of them. I think that's that's where we get to. And you used a great word. Right. That's where we get to thrive. Yeah. And that's, that's such a great place for, for our community to be. Um, I hate to say this, but guys, we are out of time. I have no idea. This is, this is, re, this is getting a little bit, we may have to relook this format, Sean, because this is now, I think our third or fourth episode where we have kind of like launched on past time. Um, John, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for spending some time with us, um, sharing your stories, sharing what you do and your passion for helping others. Thank you for what you do for our community, brother. It is appreciated. It is necessary. Um, and we just love you for it. We're, we're grateful that you're in this space. We're grateful that we've got you as an ally. Thank you. I'm so grateful to be here. I hope the message gets out. And uh, I love this little ticker at the bottom. You know how to reach me. So thank yeah. you. And, and, and that's, is there any other way? That's going to be my last question to you. What is the best way for people of all this stuff? What's the best way for people to get hold of you? So I'm, I'm on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, uh, get Doolin is my tagline on all those. Uh, you should be able to search at get Doolin to find me. My website is get Uh, those are the easiest and most memorable ways to track me down. Uh, but I'll, I'll tell you, my phone number is 248-297-5323. Just give me a call. Wow. That's dedication right there. That's, that's a huge dedication. <laughs> and we appreciate that. We won't even edit that out for you. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate it. <laughs> All right. Well, hey, listen, again, John, thank you so much for spending some time with us, buddy. Thank you for being here. Um, there may need to be a second episode um, just to get some more. I think there's more that we need to dig into, but we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that. Um, listen, on behalf of the Vet SOS family, guys, we'd like to thank everyone for joining us today, for taking the time out of your day. Um, just to, to listen to us and, and to listen to John's story. Thank you for joining us. Make sure you follow and subscribe to us on YouTube and your favorite podcast platforms. Remember, don't drown in a sea of transition. Grab the Vet SOS Lifeline. Y'all have a great day.